I love hearing the personal stories that people have, you know, where there's meaning embedded in kind of otherwise very ordinary places. Um, so I try to draw out the character of those places. My name is Amel Tabaku, and welcome to Arcade Initiative Podcast, Interviews with Political Artists, a series designed to inspire and encourage art activists' processes and plays to catalyze social change. On today's episode, we're talking about park policy and planning. The climate of our times has forced us to reconsider the ways in which we connect to nature as we find ourselves in dire need of being surrounded by green spaces. Beyond this, we have become more aware than ever of the importance of creating long-standing, resilient spaces for communities to come together and simply be, whether to reflect, to pause, to rest, to question, or to redefine public spaces in response to this new reality post-pandemic. To elaborate on the relationship between park policy and planning and cartooning and illustration, I'm thrilled to be joined by Ticaronto-based artist Jake Tobin Garrett. Jake aims to capture a sense of place and whimsy, whether in words or drawings. His work has been featured in the Toronto Star, Nazan Nuv Magazine, CBC, Chatelain, Spacing, and more. He loves doing custom illustrations for people such as houses, street scenes, and cartoon portraits. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your community. We want this podcast to be a resource and a platform for collaboration, so please send us your questions or any other topic ideas for upcoming episodes. So once again, just thank you so much for coming out. Uh, no a little bit about ARCAD, I'm sure you probably looked us up online, but we've been around since end of October of last year. So we have quite a bit of programming going on in the community right now, and the podcast is one of our most recent initiatives. We've had three episodes so far, touching on several themes from climate migration to how we've been able to stay globally connected throughout the pandemic and to basic income. And yeah, we can get right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, um, where you're currently based in, and how are you doing in terms of everything <laughs> that's been going on in the world? Uh, so my name is Jake Tobin Garrett. Uh, I'm a writer and illustrator and a cartoonist, and I'm also a policy expert and researcher in city parks and public spaces. And I live in Toronto. I'm based out of uh, downtown Toronto, um, but I'm originally from Vancouver. So I've been in Toronto for just over a decade now, um, but I go back to Vancouver frequently. All my friends and family are still there. And uh, I just love the West Coast so much. Like my heart still, I think, beats on the West Coast. Um, but being in Toronto is great. I love just like a, the big urban environment of the city. In terms of how I am and how I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Like if I'm honest, it's ups and downs. I think like everyone over the last two years, I feel, uh, pretty fortunate to be able to have made, you know, continue to make art and make a living um, during the last two years. I know a lot of people haven't been as fortunate as I have with that. And so I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, you know, but sometimes you still get sad, right? Just, it's been a lot the last uh, two years and everything that's going on in the world. But I try to uh, channel that into, uh, into drawing as much as I can. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. And uh, honestly, art is definitely like one of the most powerful tools that folks use to kind of as, as a platform to vent whatever they're going through. 
And yeah, can you speak to us a little bit about what you find important to convey within your creative practice, within your illustrations, writing and cartooning? So I really like exploring place and what it means to people. Um, one of the things, like I do a lot of custom illustrations for folks. I do a lot of urban landscapes and houses and businesses and things like that. And uh, I love hearing the personal stories that people have, you know, where there's meaning embedded in kind of otherwise very ordinary places. Um, so I try to draw out the character of those places. And it's made me look in the city a, in a different way because there's so many places you walk by that seem pretty banal and ordinary, maybe like a, you know, an old bar or like a street corner or something like that. But then, you know, I get an email from someone and it's like, oh, that's the place where someone, you know, was proposed to or, um, you know, that's their childhood home or something like that. So it's just like such a nice reminder that there's all these layers of like emotion and memory in the city. And I love to be able to like kind of play with that in my in my drawings for people. And I also like doing, you know, a sense of whimsy and fun. Like, you know, I'm a cartoonist, so I'm not trying to be like super serious and draw the world exactly as it is, right? Try to have kind of hidden or not so hidden jokes and things. And yeah, just not straight up drawing the city around me, trying to find kind of like little bits of the absurd or um, kind of magic. I have this one drawing of Sugar Beach, a, a park here, Waterfront Park in Toronto, that has a cartoon guy park maintenance worker kind of like offloading a bag of sugar as if it was sand onto the onto the beach while this woman's kind of looking over and you know to some people that might be a dad joke which i'm okay with <laughs> um you know so just trying to find like a little bit of humor i think in uh in places maybe something a little bit strange and then i've also been um doing a lot of work in the last little while sort of documenting queer spaces in the city um so i don't know i just find like physical places like the gay village where i live in toronto um you know, certain bars and public spaces and parks, they just have such importance for, for queer folks as kind of safe spaces where, you know, we can be ourselves, where a lot of us like first felt, you know, safe and seen and found a sense of community. And, and so that's been really nice. Like as I draw these spaces in the city, I've had more and more commissions from queer folks, whether it's, you know, portraits of their families or um, places that had a lot of meaning for them. And that's really, as a, as a gay man myself, like that's really special for me to be able to, to be invited to do those types of drawings for people. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I really love what you uh, said earlier about just places holding a lot of, you know, rich history, them being multi-layered. And mm -hmm. as, as, as people who are continue to give meaning to these spaces that are, you know, at times like often overlooked. Right. Um, there's been a recent term that I've come across that's animation, like animating parks, animating <laughs> And yeah, it really just brings to light like the need basically for us to make these spaces a bit more lively and uh, more community based as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, your work is really, you know, beautifully complex in terms of its compositions, multi-layered, but also in the ways that it draws out these complex themes around what it takes to create resilient and green spaces. You know, you touch a little bit on uh, queer spaces as well. Uh, but can you walk us a little bit through the interplay between your park policy work and illustrations and how you're able to make these connections? Yeah. So... I think, you know, for a while, this work was really separate, actually, from my illustration and cartooning. But, um, you know, I do have a series of, like, park prints and park illustrations that I've done. And I'm really drawn to, you know, those moments of nature um, in the city and trying to kind of tease those out. But I think, you know, the ideas are starting to feed more into my cartoons and kind of, like, there's more work that I want to do around that. You know, specifically, our connection to nature and how that makes us feel. 
Um, this is something that I really want to explore kind of in the near future through some more comics. Um, I posted, you know, just a few weeks ago, like a short comic about a bird um, that flew onto my balcony. Uh, and, you know, so I've been in parks, I've worked in parks for a decade, but I actually like <laughs> embarrassingly don't really know that much about the natural world. Um, like I don't know the names of trees or I can't identify birds, which is maybe kind of shocking to people. But, and so I, that, you know, as through the pandemic, I've relied more on nature and like going for walks and parks. And so I wanted to, you know, learn a little bit more about, you know, the spaces that I'm in and that, I, that are around me. And I want to express that through kind of, and share that through like comics with people. So there was this one that I did just last, a couple weeks ago about um, a house finch. I learned it was a house finch um, that came onto my balcony. And so just did a little bit of research and kind of drew up a little comic about some facts about the house finch. But again, tried to make it like, you know, kind of funny and, and cute and stuff. So I'm hoping to do more of that work as I, as a kind of outlet for me learning a little bit more about the natural world around me and like kind of, you know, the, the sort of green spaces and the animals and wildlife that are around me here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I'm just curious if you've noticed like yourself, like a greater need like internally to connect with nature throughout the pandemic as a result of like isolation and the restrictions mm -hmm. around and did that kind of change your definition of placemaking, like what it what it takes to, to be a part of the space and how that space can cater to our needs as well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely rely more on natural spaces. Like I found I'm going for more runs and walks. I, I, I'm really fortunate to live near a bunch of ravines in Toronto and I go running in them all the time. And um, I've definitely done that more um, throughout the pandemic. Yeah, and in terms of changing placemaking and my ideas around that, you know, I've always thought nature was important to have close to home, but I think this has really sort of driven home, this experience in the last, you know, two years has really driven home to me, like how important it is to have these more naturalized elements, like very close to where people live, you know, and it's not enough to have like, not everyone lives near, you know, the trail that I live near, right, or lives near a big park where they can kind of get lost in an urban forest. Um, sometimes it's just like a little postage stamp park with like, you know, the, the playground that their kids go to or the dog park, right? And a lot of these parks are like grass and trees. It's this very kind of like old school, sort of Victorian colonial way of um, thinking about park design that doesn't really speak to, I think, the diversity of certainly a city like Toronto or the indigenous history that's, you know, uh, here. And so I think, you know, finding opportunities um, in some of these other parks and public spaces that are very close to where people live to introduce and reintroduce some more of those sort of natural elements and native plants and things like that are, is really important. Mm -hmm, for sure. I think I was reading uh, recently something about how many of the natural systems like are embedded within us, like the connections we hold to earth, to air, to water. So that's you know, an interesting point that actually just uh, based on this conversation, that's, that's what came to mind. Um, yeah, I was uh, talking with an environmental educator. She's the, the founder of uh, an organization called Sea Canada here in Toronto, I'm Zamani Ra. And uh, she was talking about that idea as well. I was talking to her about the sense of connection to nature, and, you know, how we can kind of help uh, ourselves kind of feel more connected to nature. And she made this like point, which is the point that you're making, which I think is like, when you think about it, an obvious point, but one that I think we forget, which is that we ourselves are nature, right? Like you mentioned sort of wind, earth, water, fire, which is exactly the wording that she used. That, you know, we don't necessarily have to go to a, you know, a park and look up at like tall trees to feel a sense of connection to nature. We can think about our own breath or feel the sun, you know, on our skin through our living room window. So it's just like taking moments to pause and remember that we ourselves are a part of nature. And, um, and so we're always connected to nature. And I just, 
thought, thought that point from Zamani was like so, so timely and important for people to hear. For sure. I think uh, definitely throughout the pandemic, things just felt like they were slowing down. So I feel like the majority of people had more time to pause and reflect on what matters to them, right? More so than because um, we worked, we were working in this culture of like work, rest, work, rest. And, and you know, for many uh, folks, rest wasn't really complete rest, right? So totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious, um, Jake, in terms of your creative processes and your illustrations and cartooning, you mentioned a little bit about how like a specific element will will prompt you to research mm-hmm. on your own mm-hmm. and then that's how you develop your comics. But I'm just wondering more about the process. Like, is it deliberate, intuitive, experimental? You know, how long does it take from the, you holding a pen to completing a work and what goes throughout this whole journey? It's, it really depends on what I'm doing. Um, so if I'm doing um, commissions or editorial work, like working with an art director or working with a client who's commissioned something, it's definitely more deliberate. You know, there's, you know, um, reading, like obviously reading the brief, if it's an illustration for a piece of writing, it's reading, you know, that piece of writing really closely, doing my own research, kind of playing concepts and things like that. Um, so that's very deliberate and methodical. And the cartoons though, are, for me, like are more reactive, you know, like, and emotional. They're sort of responding to something in the moment, something I read, something I felt, something I experienced. And sometimes I'll just draw them really fast and post them like within an hour or two. Like it's a really cathartic kind of thing. And obviously I'm doing it for other people because I'm posting it and I want it to connect with other people, but I'm really doing it because I'm, I need to, I don't know, exercise like some feeling or emotion that I'm having about something. So um, yeah, that one that I did about the house finch, like I, I literally like saw the house finch, did that research and, and drew the comic just and posted it like all within a couple of hours. Um, and sometimes my single panel cartoons, like literally like I'll read like an article and I'll draw something that morning. It's usually on like a Sunday, which is when I read the news. I try not to read it every day. Uh, and then I'll get inspired or incensed about something and, <laughs> and draw a comic and post it. Yeah, thank you. That sounds great. Um, are there any artists right now that you you look up to that kind of inspire your work and you think mm-hmm. that uh, you know young folks should know about? Yeah. One of my favorite cartoonists is Alison Bechdel. Like, I think most people, maybe if they're into graphic novels and cartooning, have probably heard of her. I love and have read all of Dykes to Watch Out For, her kind of like long-standing uh, comic uh, strip. It's, it's over now, but it lasted for quite a long time. But she just like has this like beautiful and perfect way of com- combining the personal and the philosophical in her books and her graphic novels, like Fun Home and her most recent one is um, the secrets of superhuman strength. I just love the way that she melds research, like deep research into a topic. You can tell she just like goes down these rabbit holes and then is able to, in a really complex and rich way, kind of like weave that into some kind of personal narrative with herself. It's just like, I mean, it's astounding. And the way that she captures and is able to draw people and poses with such liveliness, like I just admire her so much and I wish I could draw half as good as her. I also really like Ben Passmore. He put out a comic book a couple of years ago that was got a lot of uh, press attention called Your Black Friend, I believe it was called. Um, and he uh, draws a lot around race and politics and activist, activist culture, um, posts a lot of it on his, on his Instagram, which is like a fun way to follow along his work. Um, and he really kind of skewers all of those topics. And he has like a really kind of off-kilter brand of humor that I really like. Uh, one of my favorite books last year that I read actually was uh, this book that he did with uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels called Bottom Feeders, um, which is a 
a horror comic, basically, about gentrification. So I just like the way that he is able to bring these topics in, but like do them in a different way. Having gentrification literally be like a monster that is consuming uh, a building. That's wonderful. I'm kind of curious, uh, Jake, because you did bring up graphic novels and there, then mm. we have comics. I did end up actually taking a course at OCAD on graphic novels and it was very academic in the sense that we did study Fun Home. It was one of the mm. texts along with several other texts. And I feel like there's still a distinction between graphic novels and comics or I feel like the artists who make these works they identify in either categories so I'm just wondering if you see them as separate or uh, interchangeable kind of words that are being used within the artist circles uh, do, do graphic novels tend to deal with more socioeconomic or sociopolitical themes and much more that cartoon mm. just wondering what your thoughts are on, on this yeah that's a good question and I think uh, different people might have different answers for me like a graphic novel is uh, it's not so much about like the content that is being explored. Like I think there's a lot of, so a graphic novel to me is kind of a standalone piece of work, you know, like a novel. It sort of has like a beginning and an end and it's a standalone piece of work. To me, when I talk about comics, I'm talking about um, something that's episodic in some way, right? Like it could be Alison Bechdel's Dykes to Watch Out For comic strip, right? Which every two weeks there was like a new strip. It had the same characters. It explored a lot of issues around the politics of the time, and it was sort of doing it in real time. So it's definitely not about you know, a difference to me in content. It's just, for me, when I talk about comics, it's the, that more episodic style, whether it's like, you know, we're actually talking about comics as they are in sort of, you know, the Sunday Funnies kind of style of comics, or thinking about, you know, comic books um, that might be, you know, superheroes or or others um, that, that come out, again, like this sort of like episodic, sort of like every two weeks or something, there's a new issue with like a continuation of those characters. Hmm, a good perspective into it. Um, I'm just wondering, Jake, how you've been able to monetize your creative practice over the past couple of years, and if you've noticed perhaps a, a shift uh, throughout the pandemic in terms of your number of clients and, you know, number of commissions, whether there was an increase or decrease. And yeah, I'm wondering if your work has gained a more visibility throughout the pandemic considering that most of our interactions are now digital, right? So everything has been moved to mm -hmm. more space. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm still figuring out, you know, the monetizing part. I think it's, it'll be like a never ending process. Um, most of my income um, comes from commissions and custom work that I do for, for folks. A growing part is coming from editorial work. Um, so things for magazines or reports and, and that sort of thing. And then I also sell my own merch. So illustrations that I create, I'll create prints of or, you know, cards and things like that. And I sell it in my online store. So I definitely have like a few streams of income. And I would say they've, as I said in the beginning, like I've been pretty fortunate throughout the pandemic. My, my work has grown. Um, I've been able to reach more people. Uh, certainly my income from my um, illustration work has uh, grown over the last couple of months. And I think maybe it's due to, you know, people just being online more and so there's more visibility when you're sharing work online um it might i was talking to other friends about this like i, I wondered whether it was also like a um you know for part of the year like shops were closed and so people looking for gifts might have actually like gravitated more towards like looking up local artists or things that they could order and i think there was a, a, the other thing that my friends and i were talking about is like this sort of shift 
to thinking a little bit more about like supporting local, you know, in the last uh, two years, like thinking about the importance of, you know, local businesses and things like that, as we've seen so many struggle in our own communities and, and people trying, I think, to direct their money more towards, you know, local independent stores and artists and things like that. So those are all my theories. Um, about why, but definitely, definitely seen kind of a more of a growth in in uh, my work. But I, I think it's you know as things are opening up, I'm I'm excited to go to more art markets. And um, I was able to do a few throughout the pandemic when it was safe, when they were outside. And uh, I'm definitely going to do a few this. Summer. And there's just like no substitute for meeting people in real life and talking to them about your work or seeing their reaction to something you know it's nice to put things out on instagram it feels sometimes like you're you know just sort of screaming into a void at times right um so it's nice to have that like real personal feedback of an, an art market or something like that so i'm very much looking forward to that that's really exciting yeah i'm also looking forward to all the art markets or and fairs that are going to be up uh, for the summer um, mm -hmm. what advice would you give uh, to emerging youth art activists uh, jake who are looking to make a profit from their illustration and cartoon practice basically mm -hmm. any tips to to get started really because um, there are a lot of artists who have perhaps struggled a bit more throughout the pandemic than they mm -hmm. were expecting to and others yeah. uh, careers have definitely boomed yeah I mean, I don't know if I have advice that people wouldn't have heard before, but I think, you know, obviously like make things that you're passionate about, um, you know, your passion about a topic or, you know, that, that will shine through in your work. I think it's important to think about your audience and what's out there already. So kind of like, you know, going to the art markets and looking at stores and, and the work of others in your community and kind of seeing like what's already being put out there and, and if there's a different you know, spin you can put on it or where your work kind of situates within that kind of spectrum of what's already out there. I think, you know, you got to put your stuff out there. Like, I think people are really afraid to do that. And I certainly was at the beginning. It's like, oh my God, like, why? who's going to buy this? But it's so easy to create a shop now. Like, it's wild, you know, like you can literally open a Squarespace store within, you know, a day on your own. Like, I have no web design abilities at all. And I was able to, you know, create my own web store. You know, if you don't want to do that, there's obviously platforms like Etsy and things like that. You don't have as much control um, when you do that. So you kind of have to think about that. There's there's other fees that are involved. You're um, going through a platform like Etsy. And then I think the biggest thing that I would say is just to price your work fairly. And, and I mean fairly to like you as the artist. Like, yeah, you want it to be fair in the market because you want people to buy it and feel like it's accessible. But, you know, I think this is something I still struggle with. I know it's something that my friends, you know, designers, artists who have been doing this for longer than me still struggle with pricing their work, you know, it's just something that artists find difficult to do is putting, you know, saying like what I did, the time and effort I put into this has value in the world and not under pricing yourself. It depends what you want to do with it, right? Like if you're not looking to make a living out of your art, then, you know, by all means, think about a different kind of pricing structure. But if you, unfortunately, in our like, you know, capitalist society, barring any revolutionary change in the next little while, like if you want to make a living as an artist, you, you'll have to price it to a certain level that you can, you know, pay your rent and and all of that. So don't be shy to, you know, to price your work at what it's worth and think about the time and effort you put into it, but also, you know, those hidden costs, like the materials um, that you had to buy, right? Like art can be very expensive. Even the art that I do, which is mostly just ink and paper, a little bit of like, you know, colored markers, like that, that gets, you know, can get pricey over time. 
think about things like shipping and stuff. So just don't undersell yourself, basically. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of like the accumulated experience and knowledge that needs to go behind kind of the pricing structure structures that uh, we set up as artists, and that gets often mm. overlooked as well. Um, sadly, yeah. you know, you did bring up imposter syndrome, and it's like uh, you know, any <laughs> artist thinking, "Is this good enough? Like, should I even bother with posting yes. out there?" Right? But uh, definitely a great tip to just put it out there. And yeah. then I think that point that sorry, that is like that point that you just made about thinking about all the work you've done to get to this point to be able to do that that was actually articulated to me by this woman who commissioned something from me and actually paid more for it than I had asked and she made that point to me she said like I'm not paying just for this piece like I'm also paying for all the work it took you to get to this point and I was like whoa like that's very nice you know it's only happened that one time but it was uh it was really nice to to hear that so yeah definitely think about that when you're pricing your work yeah yeah um and lastly jake are you working on any projects right now that you are excited about and you would like to share yeah i've always got too many things that i want to do i think like the sort of two main things that i'm thinking about right now go back to two things we sort of already talked about one is exploring more around um, nature in the city and what it means to have a sense of connection to nature in a very urban landscape uh, through through some comics um, that I'm working on. So that's something that I'm really excited about. Again, just like going on that adventure of like trying to learn about the world around me and channel it into comics. And then last year I did a, um, a sort of fundraiser through Pride Month for the 519, which is a, a non nonprofit and a community space and organization here in Toronto near where I live. And I want to do the same thing again. So I, I, I'm working on a few new things that are kind of like uh, illustrations of sort of queer spaces in the city. Um, and so I'll be selling those in June and uh, donating a portion of the profits to an organization. I think last year I raised just almost $700 for the 519. So I'm hoping to do something similar again this year. Perfect. Yeah. And hopefully more sales this year as well. <laughs> Fingers yeah, crossed. that'd be great. Wonderful. And the people can just look up your work on Instagram as well and, and on your website. Is there a platform that you tend to be more most active on? Yeah, Instagram is probably the best place. So I'm I'm at Jake Tobin Draws on Instagram and then my website is jaketobin.ca. Those are the two best places I think to look me up. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jake, once again, uh, for just jumping on this uh, podcast with us. And yeah, we're looking forward to everything that's to come from your practice and uh, we'll, stay, we'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. I had a fun time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Don't forget to share the story with friends and family and loved ones. And don't forget to connect with us online at Arcat Initiative. See you soon.